back to another episode of Force Proximity. We're a husband and wife team that reads romance books and watches romance movies. I'm romance reader Jonathan, and with me is my wife, romance writer and author of the novel, Well, That Was Awkward, Megan. This week's book episode features Secret of a Summer Night by Lisa Kleypas. We are joined by our friend Petra Orloff. Once again, I managed to screw up the audio. It's better than last time we had Patreon, but I forgot to switch the mic on Skype to use my podcast mic, and instead it's the computer mic. I promise next time I'm going to get it right. Third time's a charm. Before we get into this episode, please give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. It helps boost the show and allows us to reach more listeners. You can ask us questions in the review section of Apple Podcasts or DM us on Instagram at Force Proximity Podcast. Now, here's our episode with Petra. Welcome back to our show, Petra Orloff. We have our, our special guest today to talk about Secrets of a Summer Night by Lisa Kleypas. How are you doing, Petra? I'm doing great. I'm very excited to be here with you guys again. Well, we're excited to have you back. Yes. Thank you. Very knowledgeable in uh, this time period and in a lot of other things. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank and you. In, and in case you didn't know, Petra is our resident historical romance expert and she (laughs) and i just love that term because we have you to go to for all of our questions and we know that you have such a fount of wisdom when it comes to history and the history of not just romance novels but anything having to do with love and romance and and you just you're just our go-to so we just made it official thank you i i like being official yeah good <laughs> well so and so that means like also being official means that we get to just you know totally use you for your brain all right i'm here mind me <laughs> good so you mentioned you're a fan of uh lisa Kleypas. when what you and megan must have been talking about something i think is on one of your uh Instagram videos. Oh yes, uh, the the live that I did last week. Um, I I am a big fan of hers. I in fact read uh, her entire um, catalog uh, last year. I was ending it about this time last year um, in preparation for writing my own novel. Um, I wanted to go over her stuff again because I I. I enjoy so much of of what she's writing. I enjoy obviously the time period and then she spans, you know, from early Regency to late Victorian. And she also does this, some contemporary as well, but um, I, I did not read those. And I, I like that she's able to embody that that whole that whole span of Regency through through Victorian and do so very deftly as well. She's um she does do a fair amount of research um, for her books, and they, they are fairly accurate, um, e- even though it may not seem as such. But uh, she certainly does put the time and the effort in, and that's what I like about her, too. I was really surprised when I, I started reading this, and I know it says 1843 right off the bat. I think it starts out with that. Correct. And I just I just wasn't thinking, and I was thinking... I, I just assumed that all of her books took place in the Regency because I've only read Dreaming of You. Oh, yes. 
And I think that takes place in in the Regency. Yeah, I think like 1834 least... or something like that. Oh, is it? So that's I... even later. Yeah. Okay. So, well, that, you know, it makes a lot more sense now because when they're talking about the corsets and like the tightening of the boning, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, wow, this is not what the corsets were like in, you know, Jane Austen times. No, not and at all. I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out. And then finally I thought, oh my God, didn't it say 1843? I'm such an idiot. So like, this is a totally different style of costumes. <laughs> This is okay. Now I have a better sense. Just I just ignored the the date. When you know, I started reading this, and I referred to it as a regency um, the other night when I was talking about it, and and of course I shouldn't have given the date, but um, I do think that it's very Austin like in many ways, and then you have this whole wonderful segment about industry and, and the the burgeoning industrial revolution um which yeah. supplies that like subplot through the entire uh novel which which i find absolutely fascinating because you're not thinking that in 1841 i think that's what it says here on the first page yeah 1841, oh, 1841. That, okay. yeah that much of this stuff existed or yeah. that that people were thinking in, in the way that um, these these entrepreneurs are thinking of the time, and um, I remember being greatly affected by that the first time I read it. Um, the enthusiasm, the entrepreneurial enthusiasm that she she writes about here is is uh, really really entertaining. And um, yeah. oh. Oh, <laughs> look at that cat! <laughs> <laughs> we're joined by another another party. Yes, we we are. <laughs> she just had to get herself in front of the camera. <laughs> a huge beast just walked across my screen when Pedro was talking. No, just one of three Siberians. She's so. <laughs> beautiful. Thank you. Um, Jonathan's one of Jonathan's favorite parts in the novel is about <laughs> that. <laughs> is about that industrialism. Well, I ha I have a whole like thing about industrialism. And what we're going to talk about when we get it's to coming it. coming up. Yeah. yeah. Oh, good. I like it. Uh, <laughs> um, so let's let's get into uh, the actual book. Like, for either of you, did it take any like time to get into, or did you dive right in and just like start reading a lot? Because I know sometimes some books I can like I have to really chip away at it at first. But this one, I, I kind of got to 20% really fast. And that's not normal for me. <laughs> Pedro, I'll let you go first. Well, this this speaks greatly to um, to the, the formula of an Avon romance. And this is published under the, um, the Avon catalog, Avon Books. Um, you'll notice that not just with Klepus, but all of the Avon authors it's an immediate dive into the book. There's, you're just right up front. I think in that first two pages, we learn that Annabelle's family um, is, is desperate for money and that they're, um, that they're struggling to survive, that her father is dead, that she has a younger brother and she's unmarried and she has no marital prospects, like within the first two pages. And so, it's her third season. I don't know if you said yes. that. I might have zoned out. Yeah. No. Absolutely. That, and that is very important. Her third, she just ended. Yeah. Is it her third that she's in or just ended her third? I think it's the 
ending of her third. Yes, the ending of her third season um, out in society. And she still has not managed to to bring a man um, (laughs) to to the proposal stage. So, yeah, I think that with 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 Avon books, it's, it's an immediate dive in. And that's, that's how their formula works to get you, to get you into that story immediately. And then we just move it along and we're humming from there. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I know you mentioned the Avon formula on your live last week and I don't know anything about it. So I was really hoping you would elaborate on that. Are there any other like hallmarks of that? Do you know, um, or is that well, like the main no, I, I mean, there there are several. And um, I, I've read a lot of Avon authors, and Glapis just happens to be the one who's, like I said, canon I read entirely um, mm-hmm. in the past year. But yes, there's that, there's the immediate deep dive. Um, and, and then it just hums along. You'll notice that even when time has passed, it can pass uh, months within a few sentences, especially as we get towards the ending of the book when things really, um, with things really speed up. Um, so that is that is also something else. There's no, um, there's no dwelling over any sort of matter unless it relates specifically to the love relationship. Um, mm to those two characters and then the scenes sort of extend themselves and, and time sort of stops and we get transported a, a little bit more. Um, but also another hallmark is that the women, um, the heroines of each book need to be uh, widows, um, either widows who absolutely love their husbands um, <laughs> and, or widows that, uh, hated their husbands and had never consummated their marriage. Um, they can also be virgins as we see in this book, um, or they can be women scorned women who fell in love, entrusted a man to marry them. But before Mm. they could get to that stage, they were deflowered and then they were, then they were scorned never in an Avon romance. Will you find a woman who has, um, the same sort of uh, lovemaking background as the male heroes do. And the male heroes, um, another part of the Avon romance formula is that the male heroes always have this, this very um, extensive history um, with lovemaking and, and pleasuring women. And they're, they're very good at what they do and they seem to know everything and (laughs) are, are able to, uh, to, what do I want to say? Um, perform in any situation, like to the utmost. And, and so I find that very interesting as well, uh, that the men get to have all the fun. The women cannot, they must be virginal, um, in those, those four ways that I described. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and then the men get away with having an awful lot of background, but they must in order to teach the women, you can't have, you can't have the kind of scenes that Avon wants readers to read if, if both parties are sexually inexperienced. It yes. simply doesn't work. So it's always the man who has to take the upper hand. And and then another hallmark of the, the Avon romance is that um, the man um, who deflowers the woman or, or loves her after she's been a widow for so much time, um, he, he is very... Um, 
gentle and very slow and he talks to her about what's going to happen and he's very concerned about the deflowering process or in also very concerned that the I, I, <laughs> only in romance can you talk about this very concerned yeah. that the the um the size of his member not not hurt the woman upon penetration. And, yeah. and you read this, you read this in several instances in here. And this is how um, Avon does this all the time in their books. You know, that there's this, this deep seated concern that they've rooted out that somehow appeals to the audience that the woman will be, be injured by the man. Um, upon having sex. And so they address this quite clearly in, in almost every lovemaking scene. Um, you'll notice that there's always these, these adjectives of, of how gentle and, and how trusting and how slowly and concerned and emotionally the man is with, with the woman um, yeah. in, in order to, to penetrate her appropriately. <laughs> so as, as women readers, what like, do you roll your eyes at that or like, what is your reaction to that? Uh, you know, I have this big thing about penetrative sex, not being the be all end all of sexual experience. Well, I know that, but so, people listening might not know that. Well, I know I've talked about that extensively. <laughs> I'm glad you guys are on the same page in that way. <laughs> I know I've talked about that on on all the time. I I roll my eyes when the woman is she's a virgin and then either the first or second time she is, you know, she's orgasming on the third thrust. Like Mm, okay, that's great for her. I'm not going to say that sex isn't like that because for a lot of women, it is. It's not my experience, but I and I think it's not a lot of women's sexual experience. And that's why I think I tend to gravitate towards more erotic historical romance and contemporary romance because there's a lot more, like emphasis on what was previously considered just foreplay now is is part of the like it's part of the main event if not the main event like i know in the book that i'm writing now like they often don't have penetrative sex and that is the whole sex scene and it's a long sex scene and he never penetrates her and just because you know of circumstances that happen just other things happen and that like they're fine with it and it's not like I intended it to be that way but it is a statement that I want to make um that you know sex is it can happen a lot of different ways and I I feel like in a lot of uh, well in this book it's a lot of um we don't get to see a lot of we're told that sex is happening a lot but we don't see a lot of it I think this is more in Jonathan's realm. <laughs> like you don't have a lot of uh, skipping through the sex, sexy pages in this book. Cause they, no. they happen. I mean, she doesn't, I think Clapus. Well, I don't know. I can't, I can't speak for her whole catalog, but in this book, I think she, 
uses the sex to deepen the relationship and show how deep their relationship is. But it's not about, you know, the crazy acts they're performing in bed. So I don't think she feels the need to, you know, really go hard in the paint on the sex scenes. She sort of just mentions that they're happening and then they're happening again. And then they're happening again. And and then there's more sex and then there's more sex. And that's great for them. Um, I, I do roll my eyes at, at the sex scenes and I, I prefer her non-penetrative scenes as well. I find them to be much more rewarding emotionally and much more stimulating. Um, but of course the, the penetrative sex only comes after marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it never comes before in, in any of her. Well, there is one exception. Um, so in all of her books, except for one. And um, she, what I don't like about it is I don't need that. Oh God, that conversation about as they're getting ready to have sex. Oh, so did your mom tell you what's supposed to happen? You know, like, are you that prepared was, that was for this? Awkward. Yeah, it's very awkward. And this happens routinely in her books. Another hallmark Mm. of the Avon formula is that the man is so concerned about her understanding of sex. Now, of course, Victorian era, most women know nothing. They knew absolutely nothing. They had no idea how uh, their own anatomy worked. They had no idea how a man's anatomy worked. Um, They were completely in the dark. And men were... Um, unwilling to explain or or to to be patient with their wives, so that's why you 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 see some of this, but it's also it appeals to her audience. This is the kind of care that the Avon audience wants, mm. you know, from their their male hero, um, and and it. it I have to say that is absolutely true. And I, I mean, of course, it's not written anywhere, but in every Avon I've ever read, it's been that way. So I, I can't I can't suggest that it's otherwise. Um, I also don't like um, how she feels the need to describe every second of the, the penetrative sexual experience. The, I don't find that to be erotic. And I don't find that to be stimulating. Um, and so I, I do gloss over those scenes when I get to them. And then I feel like they're all lumped together, um, you know, after the marriage. And it, yes. it's sort of, it's at that point, it's kind of like a moot point. Well, we know they're together. So why, why do I have, why am I being invited to their private bedchamber after the marriage is is done with the the, the scandalous um, and the titillation comes before the vows have have been uttered. Uh, so you know to 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 visit the bedroom afterwards seems seems a moot point. And I, I know that there's a you know she includes I think like maybe three or four large scenes in this particular book, and that's common for all of hers. Mm-hmm. There's three or four um, scenes. Uh, that that even seem a little out of place. Um, like, why did we need to read about their honeymoon um, to, to the extent that we did, or, or or some of those other scenes, if not just to place sex within the book again? Yeah, um, they were. 
I I actually had trouble finishing reading this book because <laughs> I had trouble starting because I felt like, okay, there's a lot of backstory up front and it does like really, it does jump right in, but I just, I really just wanted to get to Simon Hunt and, and Annabelle on the page together. Yes, and yes. then there was a lot of them not on the page together at the beginning. Right. So I had trouble getting into the book and then when I got to about 75% and they're married, I'm like, well, what the, they're married. Like, why do I need to finish this book? Right, right. The book should be <laughs> over at that point. And, and I'm so glad I did because I, because Jonathan said, he, he's like, you know, the dark night happens, it's different than, than you would think. And so I really, I really liked the um the 80% mark and I'm really glad I finished it but I really finished in the nick of time because I'm like what do I need to you know they're they're together that's that's the happily ever after right I was I was surprised by that and I think I didn't finish dreaming of you for the same reason I think they get together they're married by 80% they're they've had sex okay the end I don't need to know anything else well that Um, this is a this is a good segue for what worked and what didn't work for everybody and, well, I I can start. Okay. Yeah. What well, what worked for me? Let's say let, what didn't work for me was the story. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just didn't give a fuck about any of it. <laughs> well, what worked for me was the writing style and the pacing. Like, oh, but, interesting. Yeah, it's okay. Quick. Quick. I this just is, didn't care is, about what happened to anybody until the eighty percent mark. <laughs> oh yes, I agree. Um, you know what? This is like this is how it was with me when we were reading the X talk and a lot of a lot of contemporary romance where I really love the author and I'll just read the author write a grocery list, but I really don't particularly care about the book. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is like this is your version of that. Exactly right. Well, you know, for me, and I think that we'll talk more about this in the future, but for me, um, the 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 biggest problem I have with Kleypas as an author, mm-hmm. but again, this is part of the Avon formula. I don't necessarily think it's her, is that her female characters are absolutely dull and unforgettable or forgettable. Pardon me. Yes. They 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 offer nothing to the page whatsoever. But again, it must exist that way so that the reader can insert themselves into that framework. I was going to ask you if it was like, if it was the, what's her name? What's her name? Bella Swan effect for grownups, like how Twilight and, and I think then 50 Shades took that over, like purposely including a very nondescript female character so that the reader can self-insert. Yep, okay. absolutely. Yep, to self-insert in that role, and then her male characters, I think, in every single book are um, are phenomenally written. And again, that's that's part of the formula. You know, you build up that the male character as much as possible, and keep the the female character very low key, so that the reader can be, you know, a part of that uh, that love story, a part of the romance themselves. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I do think that not caring about the story has a lot to do with the, the dullard female character. Um, <laughs> but, but also, um, I, I think it might be t- 
particularly hard for a, a man to understand this book. And and I I actually find the Wallflowers, excuse me, the Wallflower series a bit more compelling than some of her others because um, these women are desperate. Mm. They have no other recourse but marriage. And this is something that that plays out um, incredibly well in all of Jane Austen's novels. The reason that these novels are so consumed with marriage, these aren't necessarily love stories Austen's writing. They're, mm-hmm. they're marriage stories because yeah. women had no other choice. Unless you married well, you were fucked. Mm-hmm. There was nothing you could do. And Your you were, entire family. Exactly. That's ruined. just what I was going to say. You're supporting not only yourself, but your entire family. Um, mm-hmm. along with you. And so the, um, you know, the, the burden that the women had to carry in, in this particular time period to, to marry well, to, to do well for themselves and also for their extended family, um, it was just enormous. And this woman doesn't have a dowry. So of course she's not going to, she's not going to uh, be worth anything to, to yeah. anybody. I do like that part in the beginning when, when they asked, uh, they're all talking about their dream men and Annabelle's like, just anybody, just give me any of them. (laughs) Right. Anybody who is technically a man, like I just doesn't matter. I just need to be married now. Yep. Absolutely. And I, yeah. And the whole time I was reading that, I was thinking about that, how if you didn't get married, he's like, well, your choice is marry somebody or you're a prostitute. Like, yeah like they're sure. like well why don't you go like if you didn't get married go across the atlantic ocean go to the united states like <laughs> go like go out west like well you probably have to be a prostitute there too so <laughs> definitely man, women really had it sucky right and <laughs> excuse me but who are they going to travel with across the seas and and then to the america's wild west they had to travel with a, it had to be with a man uh, right they needed yeah. a male companion to get around. And yeah. and so, I mean, it's, it's limiting what these, what these women can and cannot do um, constrained, not only by their clothing, um, but constrained, you know, uh, by convention. So true. And I, I, I also liked the part where the mothers in the book go to Europe and they're talking about, Oh, and then on the honeymoon, when they go, when Simon's in Paris and Annabelle's like, what is this food? This is food tastes amazing. <laughs> I didn't know it could be more than boiled mutton. And, uh, <laughs> and Simon says something like, yes, we are in not England where food that, has flavor. And right. Right. <laughs> that reminds me of when I went to new Orleans, I went on one of the kitschy ghost tours. Yeah, and uh, the uh, tour guide was telling us how New Orleans was pretty much a three three way fight, uh, yeah. a, like a Mexican standoff, if you will, between <laughs> S- Spain, France, and England, and France won. So he said, "Thank God for that. We don't have boiled food." Right. <laughs> yeah. Could exactly. you imagine if England would have won New Orleans? We wouldn't have that amazing food that comes out of there yeah you'd have uh <laughs> boiled crawfish just just no no flavor no old bay or whatever you put on crawfish it's not grabs but old bay. <laughs> i don't know it. 
<laughs> we we all have old, old pay. <laughs> did uh, <I> like that. <laughs> did did uh, either of you relate to anything in the book? A character, a theme, situation, and what was it about it or them that you related to? Um, I really wanted to relate to Simon Hunt in a big way. <laughs> he uh, he is one of my favorite um, Claypus heroes, and I really liked him. I I absolutely adore him for for many many reasons. Um, I I love his enthusiasm, his um, intelligence, his entrepreneurial spirit. Of course, he's self assured and confident. Um, you know, in his, his, his business dealings, which is quite nice. Um, yes. there was that moment though, when she was, <laughs> when she was struck by the adder and, um, oh, I forgot about that. Right, right, the, <laughs> the adder and, uh, you know, he's, he's in the bedroom, um, fighting with the American sisters about, yeah. you know, how, how to best take care of her. And I, I absolutely love that scene. Yes, I, I I like a man who's going to push, uh, you know, push the Americans aside and say, like, you know, this is what needs to be done. And yeah. I, I shall take care of her. There's something um, I, I mean, there again, another element of of not just Avon, but most romances is that at some point the woman is um, is physically vulnerable uh, mm-hmm. for some reason with with the hero and not always an adder. Of course, but <laughs> <laughs> which is unfortunate because I kind of liked I, I liked that whole I, I liked the whole setup for it and and how she had to be in bed and he had to undress her and you know he's yeah. he's manipulating her ankle with his bare hands and, I know. and oh that was so seductive so seductive it was it was it was really good yeah so I mean. So I can re- I could relate with the with the adder story. I um I am not ashamed to say that um that the the saving is a large part of of the fairy tale for me. You know mm-hmm. the, the swooping in and, and doing not necessarily physical but something for someone else's life. You know yeah yeah um and and I like that I like that idea very much. Mm-hmm. Although it doesn't have to be on such a dramatic scale. <laughs> Well, I, I, I can't say I relate with Simon Hunt, but I definitely liked him. I liked that he was, he comes from a, a family of butchers. Yes. Oh yeah. Which, I knew you were going to like that. Yes. Because if I wasn't a teacher, I'd be a butcher. Cause nice. I, for some reason that's, I've, I have an interest in, I have, they got me a, a butchering book for Christmas a couple <laughs> of years ago. And I, I still pull it out and look at it just for I don't know why. I've never butchered anything besides a chicken. Daydreaming. Yes. About, about what could have been. <laughs> or, you know, or what lies ahead. True. Um, you never know. Uh, I like that he was self-made, but I was like, but he did it through speculating. And right now I loathe speculators, but it's yeah, but different. Yeah, he had the it's, foundry. It's di- no, yeah. it's, it's different then, though. It's not speculating like how speculating is now. It's not where, like buying stock in GameStop. No, but like those big hedge fund speculators, if they miss, they get bailed out, which is bullshit. Yeah, yeah. 
But, yeah, there, there was definitely that that um, very um, American spirit in Simon Hunt. Yes, and, uh, and which I found I was, attractive. I yeah. was gonna say he was the uh, he re- he reminded me of I was picturing Ron Swanson the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Ron Swanson from Parks and Recreation, the guy with the mustache. No, No, that is not what Simon Hunt looks like. Good Lord. To me, me he does. (laughs) This is what happens when men design the ideal men for women. Right. They get it wrong. Now, Ron Swanson is basically Jonathan. So personality-wise, yes. And <laughs> and yes, I will agree with the personality. Ron Swanson is pretty much equivocal to uh, Simon Hunt. Looks-wise, well, no. Well, let's just, so I can't well, even imagine. Let's just say no. if Ron Swanson was in his 30s. No, it's a hard no. 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 It's a hard no. <laughs> Nick, whatever his name is. Offerman. He's a great guy. He seems like he's cool. He's a woodworker. But no, he he was never very attractive. And and these guys, like Simon Hunt, I think probably every Claypus hero is like Superman attractive. Like he has to be the most attractive man that's ever lived. Like whatever you think of is the most attractive man. Like that's so- what all these guys look like. If Ron Swanson was played by Henry Cable. Sure. Yes. Yes. I was just going to say that, like, for me, that's who Simon Hunt is to a T. Yeah. Henry Henry Cable. Cable. Yep. Absolutely. All right. So. I can, I can, I can make that. And Henry Cable also has a very American spirit. He does. He does, doesn't he? Yes. Yes, Yes, he does. Yeah, like he he loves his uh, what is it? What is the football team that he's always rooting uh, for? The Chiefs. I don't. Chiefs. The Chiefs. Shit. Because Idaho, he, uh, maybe. Don't know where because of uh, Superman lived yes. in Kansas. Kansas, yeah, that's what it is. But the Chiefs play in Missouri. <laughs> oh. Well, doesn't um, matter. What about you, Megan? Anything? Anything. Um, I, I did I did love the adder scene. I cannot relate to that because I have never like I am not one who is willing to accept care very easily. No. Oh, I'm not either, but I want to. <laughs> I do too. I want to, but I I just can't. But I really want to be bit by an adder. So Henry Cable <laughs> can come over and manipulate my ankle. I, I hope that happens for you, Petra. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, Megan, I would manipulate um, your ankle if you got bit by a poisonous snake. No, I don't think you would. What? No. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, I was thinking as I was reading, I, I was getting so mad. I was like, Jonathan would never ascertain my ankle for a wound. Like... <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I wasn't he would just I, be like, he'd be like, "All right, I'll watch Hank while you recover from a snake bite." Yeah. Right, like I, I, like I wasn't rubbing your head last week when you had a headache. Well, that's because you know what would come after. Whatever. Oh, 
It doesn't count when it's foreplay. (laughs) It does not count. It doesn't. It doesn't count when it's foreplay. No. It has to be independent of sexual activity to to merit any worth. Yes, because it has to happen just okay. The hating game. There's a sick bed scene in the hating game, and that's like the whole like lovely part of the book. Because it's like it's when the woman is gross and she doesn't even know what's going on, and the guy is just so overly concerned. Like his whole world ceases to exist because this the his woman has the flu or whatever it is. Like that's it's so nice. <laughs> you don't get sick. I'm always sick. I just don't I don't show it well. I don't accept I'm sick and I'm well. tired. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> you don't get to that part here after they're married. They're still too early in the marriage in the book. That's, that's yeah. true. To get to that part. <laughs> well, yeah, um, the next time she, yeah, the next snake bite. Yeah, she's, she's on her own. She, she's on her own. He'll he'll say, "Why weren't you wearing the boots that I had custom made for you?" Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you deserve it. Yeah. <laughs> so, w- when I read a book like this set in a time period. That's very, um, what's the right word? Like, restrictive? I don't know. Yes. But I can't, I can't help compare it to now. And how I was like, man, it's bullshit back then. But it, <laughs> it is what it was back then, you know? Yes. So, like. What are you referring to specifically? Um, just how the women were treated. Okay. It, it, it's awful. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, the you last mean book... like the dowry and the being on the marriage all of it the... all of yeah. it is stupid like it's all dumb but like I said was the, was the other book we read about this time period bringing down the duke how I said yeah. I'm, I'm glad we live in a a liberal society like the little l liberal where everyone's liberated and how you can mm-hmm. do whatever you want no matter yeah. who you are, for the most part. Ideally, yeah. Yeah, without, like, stereotypes. Oh, yeah, but I tell you what, women are still penalized for for not performing traditional female gender roles that, that were created or exemplified during the Victorian era to a, the highest degree. I mean... I, I, I feel very strongly about that. I mean, yeah, we can we can do what we want... But we're still punished for it. You mm-hmm. yes. But you can still do it. We we can. We can do it. <laughs> but there are consequences, you know. There are. And, and and that's and, that's unfortunate. And mm-hmm. they hopefully it's getting better. I I don't know. Cause I I'm one, I'm not a woman, and two, I I am not I'm too busy to notice anything around me. Right now, and your wife is not somebody who is really uh, appreciative of that. Like I know what's happening. I've never like I feel like I haven't experienced that myself because I am so completely. I have blinders up when it comes to society, and I've never like. I just I go through. I do what I want, and I I don't know what other people are saying about me and I don't know the consequences of it and like I just don't 
like I'm so oblivious to to humanity that that just hasn't been my experience. But I recognize that it is the experience of of women collectively. Um, so I think I think if if I were you know telling you, hey, this is what happened to me in this time, like I think you would feel differently too, or you'd be more aware. Who me? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I just, I don't have the experience with this. Right, right. Um, what, but what were you going to say earlier with the industrial stuff? Because that's where I was also going with it. Well, I wanted to just remark upon how e- extraordinary I think the Victorian, eh, that the small era, you know, that, that we're in leading up to this larger Victorian period of a full-on industrial revolution. I mean, these were people who thought that the only thing that was stopping them from achieving anything, anything whatsoever, was one clever invention, mm. you know, just one clever invention. Um and I, I don't know the statistics on this, but I have read numerous times that the um, the flurry of patents that were issued during the Victorian uh, era or during the, I will say the Industrial Revolution, was just mm-hmm. extraordinary to anything we've ever seen. And the the positivity, the optimism, the the absolute enthusiasm that they had for creation. Um, uh, you know, mechanical creation was mm-hmm. just extraordinary, and and I think un, unrivaled. I don't think we'll ever see anything like it again. I mean, certainly now we live in an age of tech, you know, which is quite different, um, and we'll never we'll never see that again. That just the glory of of making something, uh, and and for them, anything was possible, you know. Um, you know, uh, telephone and radio and and the steam engine and and um, you know crossing the Atlantic in 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 you know five or six days and and all of that was just one invention away, right? That's all yeah. they got. One invention away from from extraordinary abilities, right? Mm. And I I like that. I like that optimism. I like that spirit and the ingenuity. Yeah, I, I feel like a lot of uh, the word Marvel seems to have been thrown around a lot during that time. Yes, because everything was everything was new and shiny and everything was a marvel to behold. Yes. yes. And yeah, it was. This, I mean, the, the things that they were looking at, the things that they were reading, the advancements, not only in, in technology and industry, but in science, in um, in medicine. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, had women not been so tightly corseted, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, during this time period, the uh, advancements in plastic surgery would have been delayed by years, because what mm-hmm. was happening was uh, during the 1860s when women were wearing those crinolines, yeah, um, which you, uh, which people most um, closely associate with "Gone with the Wind," yeah, those very, very large you know, skirts with, with mm-hmm. diameters that wouldn't even fit through doorways. Well, <laughs> um, that fashion changed architecture because mm-hmm. they had to widen doorways and create arches where they never had them before yeah. um, in order to accommodate the fashion. Um, but also, uh, women were catching fire by yes. accidentally running into 
um, an open hearth or a, well, a women have always so women, so fire. I think has always been like the second yes. leading cause of death for women. Yes. like just by working in close proximity to the hearth. Correct. So any any woman who like who had to work in the home, like fire, second leading cause of death forever for centuries. Yes, and um, as they caught fire in the crinoline, mm. it was oh. so the, the 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 material right was so yeah. um combustible. Yeah, that I think it, it was like it quickly traveled hair. up. Yes, and it quickly traveled up to their necks where they had the high collars, right? Yeah. And, um, and, and oftentimes that's, that's where it ended before they were able to put it out. Mm-hmm. So um, what you would find were um, in these, these multiple, I mean, a, a thousands and thousands of women who had been burned was that their mouth hung open in a perpetual scream and the scar tissue held uh, their chins down to their necks, right? Oh. So they couldn't close their mouths. And they had all this scar tissue in the skin. Um, and, and specifically to combat that, that very specific, um, you know, consequence of being burned. Uh, mm-hmm. Doctor, you know, there were doctors in the U.S. and, and in, in Great Britain that were working um, with plastic surgery in order to advance the technique so that they could fix these women. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the same with the, uh, the match girls who experienced the... Um, the flossy jaw, you know, that, that large phosphate burn that, mm-hmm. that exposed their entire jaw because um, they were working in the, the you know, the, the matchmaking industry. And that also advanced medicine at the time, too. So, you know, for me, it was just a, just a really unique era of, of advancement and opportunity and thinking. And again, this internal enthusiasm and optimism for, for what man could think of and what man could create. And Mm -hmm. I, I wish, I wish we still had that. I I feel like everyone's looking for the next get rich quick scheme, not the next thing that will change our lives forever. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. And I, I think we, our industrial revolution right now and it's a tech revolution and it's not met with optimism it's met with what are these robots going to do to take my job right it's met yeah. with fear and then yeah. something with fear um with this idea with the mindset of scarcity is yes. is is much less productive than approaching with a mindset of um optimism and, and i mean not not to be, I don't know if it's even political, but in the past, we had really strong unions. And AI was always there. There's always machines, like, automating things. But the unions would negotiate with the, the factory owner or whatever owner of, say, all right, what can we put in that will make our lives easier, not replace us? But, right. But today, unions, like, don't exist. And hopefully that the the pro act that got passed in the house gets passed in the senate i don't know if it will but that will strengthen unions but they they would not let ai get like replace people mm-hmm. but everyone is trying to like i i ha- i know nothing about tech like i can't code i can't do anything i can't make the next thing but the people who can are just they are looking for that app that's just going to sell really quick and make them rich doesn't necessarily like flappy birds remember that one no no it was angry it was it was a game it was a game app 
And mm-hmm. the guy actually took it down because he said, like, this adds nothing to people's lives. It's just, <laughs> I've made enough money from it. I'm taking it away. But that's what the apps are. That's what the people who are creating apps are doing. They're just, what can I make money off of? And uh, people who invest in it are starting to get like, I don't really want that. I want something that's going to help people. So I, I think we are coming around the corner on it in tech. But I don't know if it's fast enough. Hmm. I, 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 you know, I want to say that um, I, I meet very few people that have the kind of, um, that kind of unbridled enthusiasm and vigor for, for the entrepreneurial um, spirit. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it is more, um, uh, it, it's more, again, and, you know, all of us are on Instagram, like how many, what can I do to get more followers? What can mm-hmm. I do to get more people to subscribe to my, you know, my YouTube channel, my YouTube channel? What can I do to get these things rather than a, a real drive to create something that is um, productive and helpful and not just narcissistically helpful? Right. Well, I-, I was just, I was just listening to a, um, it was an Instagram live with a skincare influencer that I follow and she has a book coming out and I love her and she's been in the, in her field for a very long time. She's one of the early skincare influencers on Instagram. And but she was talking about like, you too can do what I do, but don't expect to have the same success because the the market is just so saturated. Mm-hmm. And I right. think that's right. that's the case with so many of like look at Bookstagram. Like, I mean, you see a lot of beautiful spreads of people's books and they are lovely. But how many can you follow? And that is yeah. like you log into Instagram and your whole feed is just pretty picture of books, pretty picture of books, pretty picture of books. Pretty, I mean, and oftentimes the same type of picture over and over and over and over again. Yes. And I, I appreciate the work that these people are putting into it, but I have to, it's, it just feels like a, I've got to get in on this too. And that seems to be more the mindset of, um, well, how can I help people? How can I create? How can I share the, what I love with the world in an interesting way? And it's, it doesn't, yeah, I think there's, I, but I think there have always been few people who are made to create and made to design. And I think there are a lot more people who are naturally built to just appreciate the new design. But now with social media, you think everybody should be a creator. Well, that's what they so, have listed. They're all digital creators. I know. All everyone's. Yeah. I know. And My Instagram I says I'm one. I will. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are. You are creating this podcast. You are but a man I, reading romance and talking about it on, I, on, on whatever this is. And, what, and I do, I do have <laughs> on a, a podcast. Hope. There's two of you, right? I do have a hope of actually helping men if one day they actually anyone listens to this, which we do have more people. And we do. if we you are listening, more, I we, always we appreciate it. Um, to actually, like, first of all, read anything. yes men need to start reading that has to be a national sort of movement (laughs) read anything and second like 
throw throw a romance in there, like read three Jack Reachers and then a romance. You know, yeah, like they're pretty good. You watch you watch the rom coms; they're good. Mm-hmm. So just throw a rom com book in there, and you'll like it. Yeah, and you might like help you out with your girlfriend or wife or pickup girls. I don't know. Or guys, yeah. whatever you're into. Well, I um, mean, I think that that what women, what men could really gain, glean from from reading something like this, Lisa Klepa's Secrets of a Summer Night. Um, I I think they could glean an an appreciation for the sort of trials and tribulations that many women had to endure, not only yes. in that time period, but but also, um, currently, because because some of these things are are overreaching, but also. Uh, you know, if they read carefully, as I've described the formula, an innate understanding of what women, what many, many women, not all women, want from yeah. a man. Yes. In, yes. Who want, who want, and I should, I should add this uh, caveat, who want a traditional sort of uh, gender role relationship, right? Yes. But they even, if, even if you want something totally untraditional, there's a romance for that. There, there is. There's a yes. romance for everything. There is. And there's something, if you want a polyamorous octical, octopus tentacle romance, there are <laughs> them. Yes. That yes. exists. Right. That exists. Well, and like, yeah, a and paranormal octopus and... tentacle romance. Yes. That exists. Yes. <laughs> and like to expand on that, Petra, I think Megan can attest that I've and jump in, Megan, if you agree or disagree, but I I think I've been more open to like the woman's experience. Yeah. Just reading. You these are books. way more feminist than I am now. Interesting. That's I mean, I don't I don't like the term feminist for myself, but because I'm a woman, I'm allowed to be that way, I think. Um, I'm allowed to dislike the term for my own personal use. Well, and I, I but, don't know if but um, I think you are more, you know, more of that traditional universal feminism type fourth wave. And I don't feminist. I don't know if I'm a feminist as more as egalitarian. I just want everything fair for everybody. But that's what feminists mean by <laughs> yes. saying that they're fourth wave feminists. Yes. Okay. And that in that result in that regard, I'm also a feminist. I'm just a third wave feminist. So I, yeah. th- there, I have a lot of third wave in me too. I have a yeah. lot of third wave in me too. <laughs> I was thinking about I read an article this morning about um canceling cancel culture. And that mm-hmm. um, that many people are calling on Generation X to do that, mm-hmm. to to put an end to to cancel culture, and um, and I was thinking about that, and and I I I know that's not what the discussion is about, so I'll just make it brief. But um, it is oh, it, it is very similar. It. Like I mean, this these types of books, the, these romance books, they they do not fit in with with what is going on uh you know today in um, not at all in our society and which makes me um it really makes me question how how they can still remain so popular if people are if people find so much untruth in them right because they don't they don't find so much untruth because they speak to a universal yearning 
a universal yearning for love, a universal yearning for acceptance, for for being desirable and desired, yes. um, to to be taken care of, mm-hmm. to to be comfortable, um, and and to have somebody uh, just really want you, you know, yes. wholeheartedly. And I I think so few people um, allow themselves to say, I will not settle until I have all of these things mm-hmm. yeah. and, and they, they marry not just for convenience, but they marry and then they think, Oh, well, you know, I've got a family, I've got kids. My life is pretty good. I'm not going to rock the boat, even though there's a lot that's not, not good here for me, you mm-hmm. know? And, and these books speak to those, those yearnings. And mm-hmm. I, I think both from the man and the woman, what I liked about this Kleypas book in particular, which doesn't happen in all of hers, was the unique understanding that Annabelle came to about Simon during their honeymoon, what an important man he was, um, his Mm -hmm. place in society, um, the way that others regarded him and treated him. After being mistreated by the peerage for so long, through 90% of the book, you see how he is absolutely lauded by, by others in uh, other industrial entrepreneurs. And, um, and I, and I think, think and how she started to smart. appreciate Westcliff because yes. he was yeah. the only yes. one who was willing to see him yes. and appreciate him for, you know, for being an industrialist. Yes. I think. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I was going to say earlier too, I, I think her addition of the, of the honeymoon, I'll call it the honeymoon section, the post-marriage yeah. section yeah. Uh, that sets up the rest of the series. Mm. of of these novels. So I, I think there was a lot of work that yeah. I think for her, uh, Kleypas, the story also ends with the marriage. But I think in order to set up the series, she I had to, to move beyond that a, a little bit. And I tell you what, um, Westcliff ends up being one of my favorite, my favorite Kleypas men. Yes, I read it. It happened in autumn or it happened one autumn. Yeah, that was the other one I read. And I remember it was one of the first romance novels I read. And I remember like thinking I have to devour this whole genre now because I liked Westcliff so much. And I I love a grumpy hero. And I know, Jonathan, you're going to really like Lillian. Oh, yes. You know, she's the sports loving. She's American, right? Yeah. Automatically love her. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I I love the way the Americans are portrayed in this book. Yeah. Um and, and I really love how um they're not stupid women or flighty women. Right. Um they're they're very very mature. They're very outspoken. Mm-hmm. They're intelligent. They're mm-hmm. witty, um athletic. Mm-hmm. It's um it's an absolute treat to see women like that in a romance novel because so often you get most of the unfortunately the Annabelles, which are just, oh <laughs> help me, I've been bitten by an adder. You know, but I, I tell you if, if Henry Cavill were coming to my aid, I would also be swooning and, and fainting <laughs> and, and making a menace of myself to, to be, you know, my so my ankle was manhandled appropriately. <laughs> Uh, before you know i was getting really mad at lisa lisa Claypis, our friend lisa um because i really thought when she was starting to you know get all swoony at the ball 
And it was before we knew anything was, you know, legitimately wrong. I think, oh, my God, this woman has a fever and she cannot walk. And this man has to carry her up. Like, oh, my God. No wonder people make fun of romance. This is awful. And then it's like, oh, snake bite. Oh, that's really cool. Okay. (laughs) The woman's dying. And you're just like, this pussy. Like, (laughs) (laughs) no, it's, it's a very good twist. Um, and, and I, you know, I think that in this book, um, in more than, than, than her others, maybe in this series, she really, um, goes outside of the bounds of of traditional romance in a way like with these these american heroines that that Mm -hmm. will be coming up and then with with simon who is he's not a peer you know he's no he's a son of a butcher yeah And, and so i i like i like how she does that as well um there's another series that she does um, and I am forgetting the name of the family. It's the name of the family, and there's there's four girls. Um, but in the very first book, uh, one of them marries a um, a Romani man. Oh yes, I and have that what is on that? Our list. A gypsy. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. That I know he is one of the, like the main is his name Cal? Cam. Cam. Cameron. I yeah, I, I can't wait to read Cam. that. I cannot oh. wait to read that because it's just so interesting. And I know he's one of people's like um like beloved Claypus heroes. Oh, he's so super I'm, hot. He's super I'm really hot. looking forward yes. to Yes. He's he's fantastic. I, I absolutely <laughs> adore Cameron. He's great. And then um the men the men in the Wallflowers series are absolutely memorable. They're just, yeah. they are phenomenal. And then the Ravenel series yes. as well yes. is, is phenomenal. And then you get some who are touch and go, but then you get Cam and yeah. he, he makes up for it. You know, I, I'm going to have a hard time. Anyone displacing Simon Hunt. Oh, because mm. of, because of the whole butcher thing and the fact that he changed the English way of making trains. Yes. Yep. Like it was yes. one of the only notes I put in the Kindle. <laughs> but he 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 switched the way they did it to the American way. It's like, well, you're goddamn right he did. <laughs> <laughs> You yeah, should I saw... be living in Detroit with all this this industrialism, uh, this fortitude for industrialism. You should be here in Detroit. Well, I wouldn't mind that. One of my best friends lives in uh, in uh, where do all the Arabs live? Dearborn. Um, Dearborn. <laughs> Dearborn. <laughs> the the Middle Eastern community. Yes. <laughs> it is. Um. It's. It's. It, it is very still like industrial centered. I mean, Michigan wants to pretend it's not, but, but it certainly is. Mm-hmm. But I, I agree. Like Simon is original. He's, he's absolutely. Um, and he stands alone as, um, as one of her only industrialists. 
Um, there are others who are self-made, but nobody, nobody comes close to to what Simon has done and and what mm. she describes him doing. You know, so I think he is hard to usurp. Um, but but there's also some other that others that are very memorable for for other reasons. So, well, I guess we'll just have to read more of them. All right, this is our favorite part of the episode: the book boner levels. <laughs> and Megan is book I always get these confused book boner is 1 through 10 right yeah this one is a hard one isn't it meaning there's not a lot of sex in it yeah wait a minute no that's what I we get these confused every week um okay so the the capsaicin level that's, that's that's like that's how the, hot that's the we Scoville feel. Level. That's next. Oh, Scoville level. <laughs> Half Half <Jason>. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> you know the yes. the Ben Gay yes, level. <laughs> I love it. Um, so, so the book. All right, Patriot. The book boner level is one through ten. So it's basically one meaning not a lot of sex, and ten meaning Sierra Simone. No, this is no. It's not. It's not the sex See, yeah, in the book. It it's, it's, yeah, I know. It's how how you felt how sexy this book was. How sexy was this book to you? Oh, well, I'm going to say oh. one because of the point Petra made that it all happens after they're married. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> married sex. Um, I, I do that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um... There was one scene in this book that got me. So um, I will say that it's probably, I'm going to have to give it, um, I'm going to have to give it a four. A four? A four. I'll give it a four. That's fair. Yeah, I was going to say three. I feel like it just wasn't, I I don't know. It didn't go as deep as I wanted it to. That's what she said. Yeah, (laughs) that's what she was afraid of. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah, not like that. Not literally. (laughs) Not even figuratively. You can't say that and not expect me to say what I said. You can turn everything into. I just want to say this really quickly because it, you know, it just occurred to me yeah. as we were talking about these hallmarks of Avon and, and this idea that um, the, when I spoke earlier about like quite literally being penetrated by, um, you know, a, a male member that was, that was too big, you know, this, this, this sort of, um, I, I want to call it like prehistoric fear that, that, that women have of that moment of, of, penetration and um not just physically but i think what what is also trying to be taken care of in this book is that it's the emotional uh penetration of the woman as well and that is why the male is always during that that moment the first time they have sex he's like is this okay and let me move in these like really slow increments and then is this okay and is this okay and are you feeling better about it now and and are you all right and this and you know that that was very much what comprom- comprised that that first sex scene after they got married was just him slowly moving into her and asking, "Are 
is, is this okay? Are you okay with it? You know, and mm-hmm. are you comfortable? Does it hurt? And, and, you know, and then the woman, you know, from her point of view is also written in is she's relaxing and accepting and relaxing and accepting. And it's, it's a metaphor for her emotional, um, you know, vulnerability mm-hmm. as well. So. Yeah. Your biceps are like ripped. What? Your biceps. I think it's her triceps. No, her bicep. Like, well, I think it's both. <laughs> are you kidding she does like kettlebells i know like she's just like scratching her head or something it's like geez louise but i don't but look at like just relax like my arm is nothing it's just it's no just, just relax yeah. you just have to move your arm and you're like a michelangelo drawing <laughs> <laughs> well thank you you're welcome <laughs> all right so scovo level so that's uh bell pepper you know what the Scoville level is, right, Patreon? Okay, so the Scoville oh. level is like the the objective amount of sex in the book. And no. Like how, no, no, how no, 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 no. The real Scoville level. Oh, oh, okay. So the, this is a Scoville level is. is how hot a pepper is. Oh yes, yes. Like ghost pepper. Yes. Or or mild jalapeno, right? And the right. other. So it goes. Bell pepper is like one. Oh, bell and pepper. Then it goes. Yeah, and then it goes jalapeno. Ghost I don't have my list because it's downstairs with Jonathan. Bell pepper, uh, jalapeno, habanero, something. habanero, Scotch, Scotch bonnet. bonnet, Carolina Reaper. <laughs> you guys eat a lot of a lot of peppers. No, I, we don't like no, hot. We don't. I don't like hot. <laughs> we don't. Oh, I don't <laughs> like hot watch, either. We should all we eat just together. Watch, <laughs> yes, we should. We should. Well, we just once, watch a lot of shows about food. Once COVID is over, we'll do one. We'll do hopefully more than one of these in person. Oh, that would yeah. be fantastic. Um, yeah. So this was not. I'm going to say what's what's one above Pell Pepper. That's that. It's that. That's the jalapeno. Yeah, we'll call it that. Not very hot. I agree. Well, I thought Simon Hunt was pretty hot in my head. At least, so um, yeah. there's that one scene where they are um behind the curtain at um at the at West Westcliff's home, mm-hmm. right? In and they they go into that room where the orchestra's um warming up, and yes. they move behind the curtain, and they have that first very physical um connection where they're um basically just making out and then he feels her up yeah Yeah. um i love that scene Mm. that scene is very hot for me um that scene was um approaching reaper for me um but the rest of it i thought was very bell okay yes i agree and that would bring you to a jalapeno Okay, so I'm at jalapeno. <laughs> if you if you take aggregate, right. if, we, if we divide Reaper by L, it equals jalapeno. <laughs> this, this is what we do jalapeno. on our show, Petro. I love it. I love it. We did not do this for Dracula. We don't. Do no, it for the we movies. didn't have. We didn't have the right. Well, right. We only do it for the books. That's why. Excellent. Got to keep it a little bit different. Well, I have no more questions. Do you have anything else, Megan? 
I feel like I could talk another hour about this book, but I am not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Petra, do you have anything else you want to add? Oh, you know, I could talk forever. Um, but I know. I, yeah, but no, um, I mean, we've, I, I've said, I've said a lot. Um, again, you know, I, I think that what you really get from Kleypas or what you need to go into understanding is that it is formulaic and that um, you're going to get a very strong man and, uh, you know, a, a particularly dull, I- infantile woman most of the time, except for the case of the Americans. So, of course. But um, again, it's B so that the reader can can be that person. Yeah. Now, Ava, oh. is that is that an American publisher? Yes. That and okay, that's why they're like that then. British romances, <laughs> I don't know that they're that big of a commodity like they are in America. British romances are like Susanna Kearsley books. They're like romance, but there's a lot of other weird stuff happening and they're kind of all over the place, I think. And I think there's not as much restriction in the genre in mm. in in British publishing. I I so. think that it's it's the American romanticization of yeah. a number of different tropes. Uh yes. the Wild West, the um Native American, right? Mm. We see that trope as well. Um our British cousins, right? <laughs> um our our um our obsession with royalty and with titles right mm-hmm. um and and then we get also the romanticization of the scottish highlander oh, yeah. um, because there's 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 all of that as well at least in historicals you're not seeing like the the um the cossack show up in a romance novel you no. know you're, you're not seeing um the Eastern European, except, you know, in, in the ways that we discussed with Dracula, you're not seeing, um, you know, a, a lot of romanticization with, uh, out, outside of what I've just listed, because it's also very familiar to us. It's mm-hmm. just different enough. Right. And, mm-hmm. but it's still very vanilla. It's very, a uh, tame. It's very, um, attainable. A, I'll say right? safe. It's yes, safe very route. safe. It is a very mm-hmm. safe route. Um, yeah, you cannot you cannot have a Russian in a romance. That that is way that's just <laughs> too much too much going on there. <laughs> but you don't you don't even see except for a few outstanding examples. I, I want to say two or maybe three. You don't see any any Far East, uh, you know. Uh, populations or you know southeast asian populations being depicted in in these as as well it just doesn't it's it's too far outside of that safety zone right so um and they're coming and and i think because of indie indie is getting bigger and indie publishing is where you see the boundaries getting pushed Mm -hmm. because indie writers they don't give a fuck like well, why do I have to write Regency? I want to write a Georgian. I want to write a, a romance that takes place in, you know, colonial Massachusetts. And I can do that because I can publish it my damn self. Right. And like, yeah. And you have, uh, so I'm seeing like tons of Georgian indie historical romance. And you don't see, people don't want colonial slash Georgian 
romance. People don't want 1940s romance or 1960s romance. Like, you have these specific, like, you know, it has to be Regency. Like, Regency was, like, the shortest time period in history. I know, I know. They're just cramming it in. So much was going on. So, like, we've rewritten Regency, like, like it spans, like, 10,000 years now of all the shit that was happening during yes. that time period. And just with the latest intrusion by the Bridgerton, um, yeah. the Bridgerton series. Yeah. Well, thank I, God for that, because I wouldn't know what half of this shit was if it wasn't for Bridgerton. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to rain on the Bridgerton parade, but uh, it was completely unenjoyable well the, the tv series has been so far completely unenjoyable for me yeah. um, but the books are much better if you enjoy historical accuracy i can imagine um you know i can i can go with the yeah let's let's sort of broaden our, yeah. our understanding and and let's you know i understand the we're in the era of inclusivity and so we have to um we have to open things up so that they will be uh what consumed by a younger audience right yeah um yeah and and leave our safety nets and and widen that sphere for a younger audience i get that um but at the same time i found the acting just absolutely abysmal and and the mm. writing of the script was just astonishingly horrifying to me um <laughs> I, and and then to see people comparing it to the absolute um masterpiece of of what oh god what's his name joe um the man who directed uh, Joe Wright, Joe Wright, Joe Wright's Pride yeah. and Prejudice. Uh, oh, yeah. It just was... it floors me. It floors me to to that that hand the hand clasp or the hand yeah. clench in yeah. uh, in Pride and Prejudice being compared to when the two were in Bridgerton standing in the art gallery and they smacked each other's hands like it just the, no there was no <laughs> and there was no chemistry between those those actors. Which, yeah, which defied logic for me. I think there is when they actually have sex, but not before. And then, then it's weird. Oh, it's I, weird yeah. for me because I felt like I was watching a twelve-year-old girl. Yeah, that's yeah. It was very difficult for me to watch that woman in an intimate, uh, in those intimate scenes because she looks like a little girl. There's yeah. nothing womanly about her and and they actually i thought the way that they um clothed her her wardrobe uh also um brought her age down by several years which yeah. i did not understand why they were making these choices because it was very difficult to look at her uh without cringing she uh, looked like i a hated girl. the costumes Oh, they were I, horrible. I, I despise them. I know people love them. They're going so oh. insane over, like, all of Romance Landia is insane over the costumes. That's I just think they're so. Because we're in a quarantine. Uh, I guess so. <laughs> I, I like Bridgerton's. I, I like what it's doing for the romance genre. And I thought for me, it was an enjoyable series because I feel like I don't have much of a horse in the race of historic romance, especially Regency romance. But the costumes, I just thought, oh, were, they were they, they, were, they, they were cheap. 
They were, you I could know. see, you could see when they would, um, the close-ups, um, yeah. sometimes, and if it caught a piece of the material from the dress, you could see that it was cheap. Yes. You could see that the material was like a poly blend. I know. It, it was, was like high school, like yeah. high school theater costumes. It was unbelievable to me. Um, yes. And I, I realized that some of the garishness and outlandish attire was purposeful. I, right. I, okay, I can get behind that. But do it well and mm-hmm. do it with real fabric, for Christ's sakes. Yeah, exactly. Do it with real fabric. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so incensed over the fabric choice. No, I was too. I am Who's too. using a poly blend? <laughs> no, I don't know. It's insane. I don't get it. For all the money that they had, oh, it was yeah. terrible. And I, I have to say too, um, uh, for um, oh God, August, uh, August. Mm, what is her I name? Oh uh, God, the woman who directed um the the latest Emma. Uh, oh, I don't know. Um. I, I I would I was very angry because I, I felt like the entire set was ripped from um that latest Emma production. That the set design and the production oh, really? design was completely lifted. Yeah. Oh uh, I we haven't seen it yet. We're gonna do an Emma movie watch day thing. Yeah, because we have to watch that and clueless. And oh yes. Oh absolutely. Yeah. And then I think Gwyneth Paltrow's Emma is worth a watch too. Really? Oh, I yeah. I don't like her. I don't. I don't <laughs> like her. But but for me, she embodied that role. It, it really? was like the, the only role that I thought that she was just exquisite for that role. Okay. And maybe that is all because you know Emma's um she's she's kind of a know it all who's quite mm-hmm. wealthy who who you know and she's pampered and she is beautiful and she knows it and she is um she has everything she could ever want right and yet she goes around and she tells everyone what they should be doing with their lives and yeah. tries to manipulate their lives right so yeah. I mean who better to do this than our own Gwyneth Paltrow true mm. <laughs> precursor to Goop yeah exactly. That's exactly what it was. Oh, I know what I was going to say. We were talking about the, uh, we were talking about like the restriction of the time period. Yes. And pretty much, well, many, many time periods, but specifically as it relates to Secrets of a Summer Night. But then you look at, it's not even just women. It's like the whole aristocracy. And you see that now, especially after the interview came out. The Oprah yes. interview with yes. Meghan and Harry. And look at the crap the his, like the aristocracy is still going through. Like nothing has changed. No, You still hasn't. don't have people accepting the Simon Hunts of the world. No. No, no, matter, no matter how inclusive we've gotten and how respectful most of us consider ourselves to be, like, you still have this crap going on <laughs> in, like, in the stupid royal family that exists today. Right. And I just thought, I thought it was a very, um, this book was a really timely read for us because yeah. I kept thinking about that, like how Simon Hunt is still not accepted. No. no. 
no, not at all. And um, yeah, and I, I think it couldn't have come out at a better time for this particular podcast because it does really bring to light everything that that was going on here, which is this complete disdain for anybody who isn't um, who isn't born to a certain class, and then and then also the the willingness to um, to uh, you know objectify th- these women um in in the regard that they do is 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 beyond believable and yeah. and I, I mean that I, I have to say that is the the only thing at least now as a single woman mm-hmm. you can you can have a life in yes. in this world and at that time you could not you yeah. could that, not that unless was... unless you decided to be a spinster and a nanny Mm-hmm. That that was a point I was trying to make. Like I, I know it's still not a level playing field, but at least it's not what it was. Mm-hmm. Sure, at, at least you weren't. You know, uh, you know, you've got spinster nanny, or I'm going to go be a nun, or a teacher, or or I'm married. Yeah, yeah. right. That's all. Yeah. That's all. And then we see that played out in a number of early, um, you know, uh, novels written. Uh, American novels written by by women, and, and I don't mean um, entirely early, but uh, like Little Women and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, House on the Prairie and so on and so forth. You see a lot of that same negotiation. I mean, Little Women is all about the negotiation of marriage. And yes. Peace. And, yeah. And and uh, Aunt March telling Meg she has to marry well and every like she like the whole the whole plate of her family was was in her hands and. She couldn't afford to marry for love. No, it was no, in her place no as a firstborn. No. no woman could. And then the only thing that that they got right here was this idea that um, that their extramarital affairs weren't necessarily frowned upon, women yeah. and men, because everyone knew that you didn't marry for love, that you only married for status, that you only married for money, so that these extramarital affairs, while not talked about, mm-hmm. were... Um, you know, were accepted at, uh, on a certain level um, yeah. because, because without them, uh, you know, nobody would have found any happiness. Right. Well, you can make the point that uh, being more liberated is better for marriage, too. Like, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 yeah. I, Of course it is. Of course it is. Because wives aren't under the subservient. They're not subservient to their husbands anymore. I mean. I thought uh, I was going somewhere with that and I just hit a (laughs) brick wall. Yeah. I mean, of course, like marriage can be equal. Marriage can be equal now. And I'm glad we got to see in the in the in the end, we got to see Annabelle saving Simon. And that was really cool. And that was pretty modern, I thought. Not that yeah. women have never saved their husbands before, because I'm sure it's happened again and again. But um, the fact that she didn't want to live without him because they loved each other and he vice versa for him because they loved each other so much. Um, and we oh, did that's... get to see their love grow even after marriage. And so I think that was, I think it was good. I mean, I'm glad I did finish reading and I'm glad that that 80% mark was something 
unrelated to their relationship that it was like there was a there was a bad thing that happened that was apart from just them breaking up so um i don't know but that yeah that felt very modern yeah i don't know i don't know how i related those two things together like marriage today no i mean the 80 percent because she was she did i mean she she performed the same task that simon had performed for her yes right with with taking care of her her out of control at her bite um but you know so so yeah her physically saving simon was also um putting you know at no point do we ever find simon in a very vulnerable position mm-hmm. in the entire novel until he's pinned under that you know iron scaffolding yeah um you know awaiting his doom as the as the whole ironworks blows up in his face, but um, you he I I I do think in in most of her novels, and I know that it's certainly in mine because it's a trope that works really well. If you physically disable the man, mm-hmm. then you get him vulnerable, and then you can start talking yeah. more about his feelings, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because it's it's and a that's, natural. Yeah, that's a trope in my book too. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's it works really well, I think, for readers. Um, it works great for writers because it's easy to say, "All right, you know, you're gonna." In mine, um, the hero um, ends up uh, dislocating his shoulder, mm. and then that provides a context for them both to examine their feelings for one another. Yeah, um, you know, kind of brings things to a head. Uh, but without that, how do you get a guy just to sit around and emote? Exactly. It's I had to give difficult. mine a concussion. See? Yeah, I know. Because I, right. I had to, like, how do you get them off screens and no TV and nothing to occupy? Like, right. <laughs> you have to be bored. And right. what better way to be bored is to give them a concussion. You can't do anything. You can't but do sit anything. And talk. But sit and no. talk. Yep, absolutely. No. I was thinking so about he, that the yeah. other night, too, like a concussion. Um, and I might've, because maybe we talked about it a long time ago. I can't remember, but I was thinking about different, different ways, but it's hard as a writer. Um, and I think as a reader, you immediately connect with being physically, uh, distraught and how that can, you know, you're, you're sort of down for the count. And then it's mm-hmm. natural to expect, you know, some sort of reflection on feeling. Um, and as a writer, it's hard how, you know, I don't know many men that simply emote and sit around and emote. Yeah. And the ones that I know that do, I'm going to just go out on a limb. I don't like them. I don't I either. Don't like them. I don't either. I'm glad you said it. I don't want a woman man. And yeah, I just said that. I just, I just put people in horrifying traditional gender roles. You're about to get get canceled. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I know. I'm not surprised that it hasn't happened yet. Um, But I, I don't like those men. Um, it, It seems so, it's so difficult for me. And I know that a lot of men, right now are working especially younger men are working towards this movement of of men should should be able to just sit around and emote and yeah yeah you can but mm, it's tough for me it seems like you're trying you're just doing it to get in a woman's pants yes and that's that's the problem i have with it like emote as in like just tell how you feel 
Yeah, sit around talking about your feelings. And yeah, like let's, we let's... do that with our friends. Like, like we talk about like our buddies, things that are bothering us. Well, with our healthy friendships, anyway. Right. But we don't like crying shit. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I I think that um now now there's where I well I, just, I don't <laughs> I just wrote a very emotional. You're not scene. a crier. I'm not. You're not a crier. My hero is not a crier either, but mm-hmm. there is one particular scene that I've just written where I do have him crying. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, he's alone. He's completely alone. That's and, a, that's the appropriate and, time for a man to cry. Right. And <laughs> right, I think, and, and it's, it's, it's like, a, I think the context works out really well, but, um, you know, I, I don't want to pretend that men don't have these deeper feelings. Yeah. I have seen men cry mm-hmm. men who I thought were absolutely ironclad. I've seen them drop to their knees in despair. Mm-hmm. And that was a very power. That is always a very powerful moment for me as a woman to see a mm-hmm. man. I'm um, doing that. And, and for me, that doesn't, um, that only adds to his masculinity. It, yeah. It's these men who want to sit around talking like women all day. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I wonder, I, I often wonder, like, the world is really good today. What what do you want to sit around and emote for? Like, you right. are 20. You yeah. are, like, a white privileged male. Like, what? You're, you're exactly right. Like, what are you bitching about? I right. mean, how despairing is your life? Like, we don't have a lot of, I mean, barring illness or accidents, we don't have a lot of things that happen to us as members of society today that are really, you know, that bad, especially our, compared to the past. Right. I mean, our fathers, our grandfathers, our great grandfathers, our great great, mm-hmm. and so on through history from the beginning of the time, were growing up and watching people die around yes. them from yes. illness, from, um, and from warfare, yeah. from warfare. Yeah. Um, I remember going over to friends' houses as a young person in elementary school and seeing their dad still years later sitting around in camo, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, dog tags on um, and sometimes completely spaced out, you mm-hmm. know, unfunctional because they had returned from Vietnam five, six, mm-hmm. seven years earlier. You know, mm-hmm. um, I remember staying the night at friend's house and her father waking up with night terrors and screaming in the middle of the night um, because he did so because of his experience in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. You know, um, all of we we are the first. You know, we had the Gulf War and and uh, Desert Storm and so on and so forth, but we haven't seen warfare the way that our parents and our grandparents, our great great, and so on. It's right. sort of tapered a bit, and it's different now. And and when you are twenty something and you are white and you're privileged and and you are sitting around and and you're you're crying about things, I, I question. I question what you do with your life. It, yeah. And how, I, I don't know. I, I think it's great for men to know about their feelings and be able to experience them. 
but and I and control just, them and not fly off the handle. Exactly. I think I think we do still have a duty to control our feelings because our feelings are just our feelings we don't have to act on them correct we can choose to rise above things and i i think you can rise above without while still experiencing and i i think that's not um (laughs) like that that's not toxic masculinity to rise above right and yeah and, and oftentimes, you know, the women throughout history have been rising above our feelings and, and soldiering oh, on and, and moving forward, you know, of course. In, in, in many ways. And, and, and so, again, I, you know, this idea of men being vulnerable, I, I think, is absolutely phenomenal. I, I, I love men who are emotionally mature and open. Mm-hmm. I, I just particularly don't want to be with a man who... Um, you know, for me, uh, a man who's more traditional masculine type works best, you know? Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I also think that, that, you know, clearly that's the hero that we're being delivered, right? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. in, in all of these books and, you know, in every single one of them, there's never the the sort of weepy emotional man you know being rescued by a woman and i'm sure that exists in the, the indie stuff but it's certainly yeah. it certainly doesn't here um the i mean the the gender roles are super traditional and they're super super defined um i just think that there is always room to to go a little bit deeper than Kleypas does in her novels and others of, of the same ilk. Um, you know, and for my novel, I wanted my man to, to, to have one profound moment mm-hmm. where he was emoting um, in, in what was probably a very safe place for him to emote and, and doing so in a way that, that allowed him to sort of then move on with his life. Yeah. Well, that sounds like it's going to be a brilliant scene. Mm-hmm. I can't wait I, to read it. I certainly hope so. I certainly yeah. hope so. Thank you. Yeah. Well, we're we're going to have an episode on that book. Oh, good. <laughs> I good. can't wait. I hope that I, I can come back as the expert. <laughs> of course you will. And hopefully it's o- after COVID and it can be in person. That would be a lot yeah. of fun. Oh, it's, yes. It'll, have it'll, be, it'll be on your official book tour. Yes. Oh, that would be great. That would be great. You guys should be my first stop. Yes. Yep. And, uh, yeah. Yes, I guess we could, it'll be a book slash workout. Oh, that would be fantastic. <laughs> yes. It would be super fantastic. Yeah. I would love it. <laughs> All right. Well, the kettlebells. Yeah. Well, I, we have quite a few. We have a. Uh, I I did you see a few months ago? I got I did got the Turkish get up with the uh, forty eight kilo. Yes, yes. That is. <laughs> I just, that's I, just good. Said, well, I feel good today. Let me try it. <laughs> that is, and and for neat. us, like you know, freedom units, as you like to call them. Huh? What does that mean? Oh. I get the the forty eight commie grams. Yeah, one hundred and six freedom units. 
Oh, 106. <laughs> I like that. I like that. 106 freedom units. The commigraph. Oh, that is hilarious. I'm going to have to start just calling that too. <laughs> we're, we're very American in this house. You no, are. I, I like it. We get along oh, yeah. well. We get along well. We, we want our men to be manly. <laughs> Yes. But you know what? I I very much appreciate the Russian guys. I love uh, Pavel. Oh, so he's fantastic. He's, he's just, fantastic. And, you know, I wish he would talk more about other stuff than Kettlebell because that dude knows a lot of stuff. <laughs> he does. He's very intelligent. I And I tell you, when I was doing my certification and he was, like, standing in front of me, You know, oh, yeah. just completely like, um, I, I've never felt that way, you know, like, like under, under this very Russian observation by Pavel, oh. you know, so it was, um, it was fun though. He was good. He was good. Interesting guy. Yeah. Well, I, I've got nothing else and I got a lot else and nothing else at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> same. So, Agreed. I think it this, was has a good been, read. this has been an awesome episode for me. And me too. Uh, I can't wait good. to do this again. Excellent. Yes. I can't wait either. I mean, I think you guys will really um, see how this particular um, volume sets up the rest of the series. Yeah. In a, yeah. I, I got really interesting excited way. about it. I'll be rereading the next one and it'll be interesting coming from this book. Like now right. having read the first book in the right, series. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So that'll be sometime, I think in June. And it's really too bad that the months are all different. Like we're reading autumn in June. We've read summer right, right. in winter. I yeah. know I tried to do it, but I really wanted to keep them in order. You so, have to. You have yeah. to. Yeah. So the next book is going to be It Happened One Autumn and we are we're having Petra back and we're very much looking forward to that conversation. Yeah. Thank you. I, I hope I can add more to it. And so I know you will. Being like a 1960s housewife over here. <laughs> uh. <laughs> no, no. All right. Uh, with that, I think we're going to say good night to everybody. And we'll talk yeah. to you next time. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Petra. Thank you, guys. Good night. Good, Good night. night. Bye. <laughs>